I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land upon which this recording takes place, the Gubby Gubby people of Southeast Queensland. I honour their continuing connection to land, sea and sky, as well as their elders, past, present and emerging. Hey there, welcome back to the Men, Sex and Pleasure podcast. I'm your host, Cam Fraser. This is episode number 191. We're talking all things masculinity, sexuality, male bodies, and men's experiences of pleasure. And on today's episode, I have the pleasure of chatting with Shana James. Shana has, for 15 years, coached more than a thousand leaders, CEOs, authors, speakers, and people with big visions who step into more powerful leadership, start and grow businesses, create more effective teams, increase their impact, get promoted, find love, rekindle spark, create a legacy and become more personally inspired and fulfilled. Referred to as a secret weapon, Shana cuts through distraction and provides direct access to your confidence, power, and clarity. She's also a translator between women and men, providing effective tools to transform conversation and dynamics that have gone awry into connection and collaboration. You can find Shana on her website, which is shanajamescoaching.com. And in this particular conversation, the two of us talk about her book, Honest Sex, uh, which you're able to go and purchase. And we speak specifically about a chapter which I found really interesting and helpful, which was the foundations for better communication around sex and intimacy. So that's what this whole podcast is about, uh, from creating safety for people in a relationship, specifically men, to help them feel able to open up and be more vulnerable to how to initiate conversations about sex, how to prioritize pleasure and curiosity and collaboration and a whole bunch more practical advice. So if that is of interest to you and it's something that you may need to help stoke the conversations and the collaboration in your relationship, then this is going to be the episode for you. It's really lovely to connect with Shana again after going on her podcast. So this is super enjoyable and I hope you enjoy listening. This might be a good time to describe what sexual intercourse is so you can understand some of the things we're talking about. At very special times, they like to hold each other close. God made their bodies so they fit together in a wonderful way. At one of those special love times, the sperm from the man's body can go into the woman's body. And in spite of her piety, she sometimes desires the more solid comfort of her husband Pierre's cup. You and I can jump straight in. So the way I like to start is with three questions. The questions are, who are you? What do you do? And what are you passionate about? Okay, interesting. Are you gonna ask them separately or we're just starting? No, I'm asking them all together right now and I'm hoping that you have an answer to them. <laughs> who am I? Okay, well, we could go really deep with the who am I, but in this context, I will say who I am is a relationship and leadership coach. I mainly work with men and I've been doing it for about 20 years. And I feel really passionate about men who are in heterosexual relationships or who have relationships with women, whether it's colleagues or you know family, um, getting to experience a woman who is not judgmental, who's supportive, who believes in men, who wants men to have what they want, um, you know, that we get to actually practice connecting and going deeper and having conversations and, uh, clarifying desires and helping men really see that, you know, that they're good and, and finding that sense of sovereignty, sovereignty and integrity 
and self-love um, is definitely something that I'm passionate about. Yeah, it's really beautiful. I'm, I'm curious what brought you to that point. What, you know, has there been a, an evolving relationship with men in your own life that's kind of helped you get there? I'm, I'm just curious. Yeah, I, I can go all the way back to my father, you know, and say that my mom and dad have a relationship where um, my dad is, my, my mom is very um, mean to my dad. You know, they say there there's love and whatever, but like she is just pretty nasty to him. And so I think that initiated my, you know, trying to figure out what was going on with men and wanting to support men and being on the side of men. Um, I then got an opportunity in my early 20s as I was in part of this intentional community where we were actually navigating attraction and jealousy and, you know, trying to grow and learn together. And then two of the men were so, um, they were having such big breakthroughs and openings that like as they interacted with us as women in these honest and loving ways that they created a workshop for men to have that experience. And so I got to be part of a team of women where we gave honest and loving feedback to men and it radically changed my life. I mean, I, as a 20 something year old at that point, I was still in the like, well, men are this way and, you know, men don't open up and men this. And I was blown away that every single man who came into this workshop and, you know, there were thousands by the time we were done, um, was so human and so vulnerable and so raw and trusted me. And I got to see behind the facades that I think men are encouraged to wear. So, um, I really, you know, opened my heart and I found incredible love for men and felt like I wanted to be an ally. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that and, and going all the way back to your parents as well. I appreciate you acknowledging the, the kind of roots. Of the this roots. And, and yeah. yeah. The roots. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and two, two questions come to my mind, I suppose two, and the, I want to ask them at the, the same time, but um, I don't, you know, I don't want to go overboard here, but the two questions are like, how do men respond to you, you know, advocating for men? And the concomitant question is how do women respond to you? Being interesting so yeah I wanted to put those both on the table and see if you had anything okay. you wanted to share well I get mixed responses from men there are men who say there are enough women in the world and single moms and there aren't you know like men are not being taught by men and so men need men um some and then other men are just so grateful that they feel um my allyship and that they can trust me and open up about things that they've been ashamed to tell anyone. And they sometimes feel safer with me than with men. So, you know, my response to all of it is I a hundred percent believe that men need men. I'm not trying to teach or give advice to men. I'm trying to be here as a, you know, kind of a mirror and a reflector and a practice partner in that way um, to help men really feel their own confidence and feel their own sense of like, oh, I can say this thing that I've been terrified to say. I can believe in myself and therefore not bring the shame or the guilt or the fear into these conversations that I have with my partner. Um, 
So yeah, mixed response, I would say, but overall, you know, a lot of men who listen to my podcast and then they end up working with me. They're like, Oh, I, I knowing you and knowing how you feel and think already, like, I feel like a safe person. So I get that response too a lot. Um, and women, I don't know if I've ever talked about this, but women thank me all the time. They're like, thank you so much. Men need, you know, sometimes they're coming from different places with this statement of men really need help. Um, you know, a lot of them love men and see men in their lives struggling and others have had very, you know, negative experiences with men and they're like, oh, please help men. Um, so, you know, I do sometimes have to defend, I don't have to, but I do often defend if, if women are dissing on men and I'm like, you know, I know incredible men. I've met thousands of amazing men. So it's again, a mixed bag, but a lot of times women are feeling grateful and really want men to have the kind of support that they've had. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's been my experience for the most part as well. I get a lot of women saying, thank you for doing the work that I do with men and very similar to you. It comes from the same, it's the same language. Thank you. comes from different places um, mm -hmm. and different mm -hmm. lived experiences on their behalf, which is yeah, understandable. Uh, and I do find that I, yeah, I get some men that are really uh, open and vulnerable and, and really feel safe to, to talk about stuff with me as another guy. And then I get other guys that are a little bit standoffish and like, fuck, I'm not talking to another bloke about this. Like, fuck, I'm not, you know, that's weird or that's, you know, they might say that's gay or, you know, something sort of derogatory. And, um, and so, yeah, there's a bit, bit of a mixed bag in that regard as well. And, and because I, in my work center like heterosexual men cisgender heterosexual white men for the most part which is you know who i am as well it's you know my own lived experience i um i get well-intentioning people be like why aren't you talking about women why aren't you talking about trans folks why aren't you talking about non-binary why are you being more inclusive and i often say to them you know like that's not who i'm speaking to right like you know fo my, my focus doesn't exclude those people focus is no exclusion there's other people doing that amazing work and here's you know, I'll signal boost those people. Here's those resources. Here's, you know, I'll, I'll direct you to the people that are doing that work that are more inclusive. And I recognize that, you know, that's, that's necessary, but it's not who I'm talking to. And that there is a necessity for a space for straight white guys, you know, like myself. And, and there needs to be a space created for, for that. So, um, Agreed. yeah, so it's, it's interesting, interesting space to navigate that, that whole inclusivity piece. Um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but I felt to share and I felt like it would land for you as well. So thank you for listening to me ramble. Um, what I'm, uh, I guess like what I'm interested in is what are the things about you and the work that you'll do that you perceive to be creating that safe space for men to like open up and to share with you? Like what are, what are the, do you have like things that you know that you do or is it just like a general vibe? I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Mm. I think one of the things that creates safety for men is that I believe that no desire is wrong or bad or, um, you know, we can, we can go so far out, right? Like, I don't think every desire needs to be enacted. And I don't think everybody believes that all of their desires need to be enacted. Um, but even rape desires or right, like things that are so intense, I don't see any of them as wrong. I see that we have conscious choices as adults. And that if we are including consent, and really being conscious about our relating, that, you know, pretty much anything goes. I also see that just because we have, 
you know, feelings and, and for men, especially like, I want men to feel everything they're feeling. I want them to feel all of their turn on instead of shrinking down to try to make somebody else feel safe, especially a woman, right. In the heterosexual context. So I often talk about, you know, feel it all and have it all. And it's your pleasure. It's your life energy. It's your vitality. And then we talk about how to, you know, as you express it, that there are ways that you can be respectful and ways that you can not be respectful. But I think the safety part comes with like, oh my God, there's nothing wrong with anything you think, anything you want, anything you feel, right? I think a lot of men feel like, oh, to to have that from a woman is very different than most men have received. Most men have received the like, that's too much, or you're too sexual, or you're too, it's some, you know, from some women in their past, whether it's a mom or a past relationship or peers in school. And so then there tends to be a shutting down. Um, so that's my sense of what the foundation of men feeling safe with me is. Mm, yeah, uh, that resonates with me. Something that I hear a lot of guys express concern around is that they're like a deviant or a pervert or that they're, you know, like you said too sexual and, and there's something's wrong with them or they're weird and um being able to hold that space and be like no you're not and so many other people have the same desires as you and that's fine it's totally normal and common um and again you know the the caveat there of like the way you express it and the way that you you know maybe choose to enact it is is really important to take into consideration but like the the inherent morality of having that desire is not you know question yeah so, exactly um, exactly i had yeah, a, really, a client okay. years ago where he brought something to me that he had been holding for i don't know 30 or 40 years i, I read about this in the book um i think in the book it's so interesting actually i think in the book i made it about a woman because i i felt like it balanced more in the book and it to me it feels like it could be someone in any gender so i'm just realizing that and outing that but the person I spoke to was a man and he was worried about this experience he had when he was five or six years old and felt like it made him perverted and had been holding that for, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 years, however old he was. And I just remember looking at it with him and being like, do you mean perverted in a bad way? And he started laughing and I started laughing and it kind of just broke the, the spell, right? First of all, that whatever happened when you're five or six years old does not define who you are in any way, shape or form. Second of all, like why does perversion actually have to be a bad thing, right? That it's not a deviant thing at this point, we can actually own it and claim it and celebrate, you know, whatever kinds of perversions, if, if that's the word we want to use or a different word that we all have these unique desires and ways of wanting to be intimate and connected with people. Yeah, it's a great book. Um, obviously, your book's great, uh, Honest Sex, and uh, I mm -hmm. want to dive into that more as well, but there's a, another book that comes to mind. Whenever I hear the word pervert uh, or perversion is uh, Jesse Berig's book, uh, Perv, The Sexual Deviant in All of Us, which is a Oh, fantastic... I did not know this. I'll have yeah, to look it up. it's a fantastic book. I'll, I'll, I'll send you the link to it. it it's okay. really great. Um, and yeah, pretty much makes that exact point. Like, does being a perv, you know, have to be a bad thing? And, um, you know, the, the expression and, and the variability and diversity of our sexual experiences and exploration is what kind of makes us human which is really lovely um, i love so that a, a kind of sex positive take on it anyway um I, i'm curious then do you have advice for space holders for men and you know maybe thinking like women specifically about how they can create 
safety for their male partners? That's a great question. And it has me realize another thing. I think I, I touched on this briefly around, you know, that they can feel anything also like um, not just want, not just their wants are good, but <clears throat> I really believe that vulnerability and emotions are very human. And so for women, what I really encourage is welcoming all the parts of a man. And so if he is afraid or if he's shutting down for some reason, you know, sometimes it takes some training or some uh, support to be able to hold that kind of intensity. But I really do find that in my relationships with men who have never been there, they've never had their emotions welcomed um, by women that as I make space for them and let them know that I don't think that they're weak or I don't think that they're small. I actually think that this makes them strong and this makes them incredible. And I'm so grateful to be let into these parts of them. They start to actually open and get, you know, stronger and more, uh, self-assured and loving and, so I think that's what I really do encourage. I have a, my TEDx talk is what a thousand men's tears reveal about the crisis between men and women. And a lot of that is a call to everybody to welcome men's vulnerability and, you know, for women to actually recognize, I think I'm curious what you think about this. I think that sometimes when women have been trained that like the man is the rock and the man is the one we lean on. And we don't find that place within ourselves to, to be able to hold ourselves. When a man gets vulnerable, I think we then, um, we get afraid is my sense of it. It's like, I'm afraid that that rock has gone away and now I'm, you know, floating out here on my own. I don't have this support, but to me being human is that there's like a, there's a flow back and forth and I support you and you support me and that that's a conscious relationship. And again, there might be some tools needed. Um, but to me, welcoming a man's vulnerability actually supports a man to be fully who he is in all of his strength and glory. Yeah. I, I resonate with that. Something that I yeah, something that I often say to couples, the guys that I work with as well, is that like your partner's not your therapist. And so there are some things that you know you, you might want to share with your partner about, but maybe not go into unloading and you know really going into a whole process with them about maybe that's a, a thing to, to take to a third party, to someone outside of the relationship and to you know, and that could be a men's group, could be like a coach, could be a therapist, but be a trusted friend whoever it is so like again the caveat there is like vulnerability is necessary and important with your partner and also there might be some things that aren't necessarily going to be super beneficial to just dump onto them yeah. and trauma trauma dump. Well, so, right um, and that's where my stance too is that the how you bring it is important because dumping it is very different than okay here's what i'm struggling with i'm you know i'm still holding myself but I'm also being vulnerable with you and I'm not asking you to fix me. Or I'm not asking you to like save me, but I am saying, okay, I'm struggling with this and right. Maybe some of it I'm going to do with you. Some of it I'll do with my therapist. Some of it I'll do with my men's group. Um, so yeah, yeah I, think I like to 
implement like a solutions focused approach to that. It's like, if you, you know, this is a little strategy for guys, if they want to share with their partner and practice being open, but also mitigating that phenomenon that you described of her, like her, his partner, maybe feeling a bit afraid of him, like saying to open up and share is to, to say, here's what's coming up for me. Here's what I'm going through. Here's what I'm doing about it. Right, here's what I plan to do about it. So having a little piece in there that's like, and here's you know how I've got myself, right? And, I, and here's what I'm going to do, and here's how I'm going to take action, um, and that can help mitigate that feeling of like, fuck, this is all coming up, and I don't know what to do about this, and like that, and that can be a little bit scary for everyone. Involved. That can be scary. The thing I also find, and I work with men around, is whatever shame you're carrying. If you you know again, this isn't gendered, but let's say for men, if you're if you're a man and you're carrying shame about having emotions, it's going to feel scarier to your partner. Whereas if you're like, oh, I'm a man, emotions are part of my, you know, part of my thing. And so I'm, I'm feeling something right now, right? The, the more okay you are with it, the more okay she is with it. So we kind of create a weirdness or a resistance when we're resisting it ourselves and so really to me, there's a foundation of men finding again, that sense of self-love and appreciating themselves rather than coming from shame. And I, I like that idea of like creating that shame-free space. Something that like comes up when I think about this as well, to, to kind of piggyback off what you were sharing with regards to this, like idea of like the heterosexual context of the man being a rock and, and, you know, holding that for his female partner. It's something that I'll like speak to couples about is like if a guy is starting to open up and be vulnerable and starting to like share his emotions with his partner, something that, you know, can happen because typically his partner, and again, very generalized, very stereotyped here, but like typically women are a bit more in tune with their emotions and a bit more able to express those things. And so if he starts to express usually that's going to start to bring some stuff up for her and, and she maybe because she's a bit more confident expressing might like interject or might like even be eager to, to speak about what's going on for her because he's finally opening up about something and so like might start to ask questions and like really go on a bit of a, a process for you know, herself and because a lot of couples have that dynamic where they kind of are bought into this idea that the man needs to be the rock for the woman when there's a space where like he's starting to share and then she also starts to share and open up a guy can retreat back into, okay, now I've got a space hold or be the rock for my partner because she's having her emotions. And so this is not to say like women should cut their emotions off when he's sharing, but like having a little bit of space. Pause. Yeah. Yeah. Can <laughs> be, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That 30 second wait can be really helpful for allowing that guy to like really, you know, there's a, there's um, an analogy from Alison Armstrong, like full caveat here, I'm, I'm you know, have my reservations about some of the stuff that Alison Armstrong talks about, but she does have this really great analogy that I like, which is um, for a guy to share his emotions, it's like sending a bucket down into the well and he sends that first bucket down. He takes his time to like pull it up and he shares, you know, what's in the bucket. And then she's like, her whole thing is, is give him the space and the time to send another bucket down. Send another bucket. Yeah. 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 To then, you know, bring up what's, what's underneath that. So, yeah. um, Yeah. So that's a little thing that I like to, to share as well. I like that. And I know that. So when I was married, I'm no longer married. I, I've been divorced for 10 years, but in that relationship, when I was younger, when he would have feelings or things that I would feel triggered by, I would kind of go into like a tizzy, right? Like I'd get emotional and I'd feel threatened by certain desires and things. And then 
I would not be a very good space holder at that point. And then he felt like he wasn't being seen or heard and there wasn't a lot of space for him in our relationship. So that was one of the dynamics that was really painful for him. And, you know, I've learned over like since my divorce and since really looking at, okay, well, what happened and how did, where did this go wrong? And one of the things that came out of that was a commitment to close my mouth <laughs> until I could say something that would forward a connection. And it's interesting because it is a very, it's like a simple commitment, but also a really challenging one. But somehow the simplicity of it has really helped me to just pause, stop, breathe, and kind of, I have one teacher who calls it like, shut the fuck up and, <laughs> and just like take a moment, you know? Um, but that's really, it's, it's, it's a big part of my practice these days is just to like, to pause and to not say anything and to digest and then to be able to witness meditation is very helpful for that, right? To be able to witness like, wow, you said that. And I'm feeling really scared or I notice that what you just said, now I'm having all of these, you know, now I'm wondering, or now I'm feeling upset or now I'm questioning this or, but to not enact those but to be able to witness them has been a really powerful dynamic in my relationship since then. Yeah, amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. And it's kind of like leading me to my first question specifically about your book as well, which is the, um, I forget which chapter it is, but the four foundations of conversations about sex. And you know, you make the distinction that this is like specifically to create more pleasure and connection, which I think is a really beautiful intention. Um, and so we've been speaking about like how to create that that space um i'm curious if you wanted to elaborate on what those four foundations were and we can go a bit deeper into them yeah so the first one is about prioritizing curiosity over fear and defensiveness this is one where i think many men have told me that they have the experience where they share a desire and then a woman's like no that's not me i don't like that and then so that's the defensiveness on their end and then a man on the other end of that conversation can be like, you know, can get defensive in his own way, which is like, well, you know, you haven't even given it a chance or this or that, right? Like, so a lot of defensiveness going back and forth. Um, and in my experience, when people really get curious about each other, there tends to be more of an opening. So on the receiving end, someone who says, that's not me, I don't like that, I, I would never do that. In the book, I really encourage people to look deeper than that and see like, oh, there's something that scares me about that. There's something that my parents told me I should never do. There's something that's disgusting, like that we actually, our identities don't have to be so rigid. Um, and if ultimately we come to, okay, I don't want to do that thing because I've consciously really thought about it, that's fine. I'm not saying we should say yes to everything, but that we can be curious about our own ideas and stories and identities around something. And we can also be curious about our partners. And so if someone says, that's not me, you know, that's nothing I would ever do, or that's disgusting. It might be like the tendency would be like disgusting. Well, now you're just judging me. And now, you know, now I'm pissed off and now I don't feel seen. And while that might be true, it goes better if you are to say something like, okay, well, can you tell me more about disgusting? Right. 
like what actually what's your visceral response or what don't you like about it and then you can actually work toward one of the other ones is number four um, is around collaborating to create win-wins and so you know that way you can start to look at okay so this part might feel scary to you or this part might feel um you know something that disgusts you about it which is different than saying that's disgusting right like subjectively i feel disgust when i think of that as different than that's disgusting that's more shaming um but then you can collaborate to really look at all right well what is something that we could both experience that would get us closer to pleasure and connection and something in this realm or something that um number 2 I'm jumping around a little bit, but if I go back to number two, it's getting to the root of a desire or really understanding the deeper, the deeper nature of a desire. So, you know, if someone comes and says like, I want you to wear, if you're, you're a man, you say to your woman, I want to wear, I want you to wear lingerie. And oftentimes I give the example in the book of that. The woman is like, oh my God, I'm upset about my body. My stomach sticks out. I don't think you're going to actually find me sexy. Like I'm scared. I don't want to be objectified, all these things that can come up. And if we get deep, so there's a, uh, there's like many pieces here, but if we, if we get deeper than the lingerie desire, it might be like, oh, I want to experience some adventure. I want, I want this to be different than our everyday, or I want some kind of, you know, I want to play with your sexiness. I think you're beautiful. Um, and so we get deeper and then we see, oh, maybe it's not lingerie. That's the way to do it. There are hundreds of other ways that we can play with it once we get to the root of it. And then going back to the win-win or the shame or the that's not me, right? We start to get curious and we ask questions and we really get deeper and hold. I think in my experience, it's powerful to be able to hold each other emotionally and be like, wow, okay, so if you haven't had the experience of loving your body, I could be, we could be partnered in this. You know, we could heal this together. We could come together and have an experience where I put my hands on the part of your body that you've struggled to love for your whole life. And we could see what happens together. So all of those kind of intermingle in there. Um, and then the third one is be clear about exploring versus decision-making mode. And that one is more about, um, it can be really threatening for someone when you bring an idea. I know this happened for me in my marriage. Like if he brought a desire, I felt like if I wasn't going to meet that desire, there was something bad about me. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't evolved enough. I wasn't sexual enough. So, um, when I think about this one and about exploring versus decision-making mode, if someone brings a desire and it's like, Hey, I just want you to know, I want to explore this with you. I would like to brainstorm, but we're not making any decisions until we both come to some kind of agreement or this feels good to both of us. Right. Then it can ease somebody into hearing more desires or more um, ideas and fantasies because it's like, all right, I'm not completely threatened right now because I'm not on high alert thinking he wants to do this and he wants to do this now. And if I don't do this, I'm bad and wrong and he's going to get upset with me. 
it's more of a brainstorming conversation and then the collaborating to have that win-win. So I just said it a lot. So if you want no, to dive into really any of those deeper. The, the first thing that comes to mind is something that I always recommend with regards to like couples having conversations about sex is to not do it in the bedroom right before you're about to have sex. Of course, you want to communicate with your partner prior to During, having sex yeah, immediately. Prior, then, yeah. But like, but having those conversations about new desires and new things that you're bringing to the table and stuff you want to explore, because very often, if you're having that conversation right then and there before you're about to be intimate with one another, there can be a unspoken expectation that we've got to do that thing right now. And so, um, yeah, I often say like to help mitigate that because it often happens, right? It's like, oh God, now he wants to do this thing we've just been talking about. Now there's this expectation we've got to do this. It can be helpful to like have that conversation at lunch. Right, where it is like, hey, this is a thing that's coming up for me. Like, I'd love to explore this with you. We don't have to do it tonight, or you know, you know, we don't have to do it soon. But like, I'd love to just bring it, you know, to your attention and, and can can we brainstorm and troubleshoot around this? Um, so I really really appreciate that point, and I think that's really helpful. Um, you know, I, I'm reminded of uh, Justin Lane Miller's book, Tell Me What You Want, and his you know his research around people's fantasies. And what I really like about that, and what you've just shared here, is going below like the the actual act of the fantasy or the desire itself right you use the the lingerie example and I, I often use the threesome example as a way to kind of uh talk about this it's like yeah sure the threesome is the act that they desire and sure it might just be a desire for more bodies and you know the the, the you know the, the whole idea of having another person there that might be the thing that they desire maybe it's the uh, attention right they desire to, to have more attention on them maybe it's a desire for multiple different types of stimulation right maybe it's a desire to uh to be witnessed or like to be seen yep um or even like the reverse of that to be the person who's like giving the pleasure to multiple people to be in that position of like power or, or giving you know or serving um so like there's a whole bunch of reasons why someone might want to explore having a threesome or having multiple partners and it's like you know once you've kind of identified that underlying desire then it might not look like involving another person, right? Or it might look like involving another person who isn't actually in the room with you, but maybe it's from a, a campsite or maybe it's like even watching porn together or maybe it's um, you know, role-playing even. I had a really wonderful conversation with a woman by the name of Lauren Wylett on the podcast and we expanded on that. Like if you're interested in having a, a threesome, what is it about a threesome that's a big turn on to you? And you know, is it just the the overwhelm of stimulation from having multiple things happening to you at the same time you can do that with toys right and you can include other things into you know your, so brilliant your yeah. sex life with with one person so yeah i think that and that that opens a lot of possibilities then right like that's where you can get really creative and there's a lot more um you know opportunity i suppose to explore that rather than just being tied to that specific sex act um, yes. I think that that can be helpful for partners. So yeah, really, that really landed for me as well. Yeah, that's a um, great one to look at because it's like, oh, there can just be that, like, you know, that sense of I just I want that because it's a thing that is a little more taboo and it's, you know, and and great. I'm I'm not against threesomes in any way, shape, or form, but you could also say I want to have a threesome and walk away from a threesome and not have gotten the experience that you wanted because you weren't clear about what it was. That. Yeah. Yes, I've men ex- say exactly that. Like I did it, and it was like unfulfilling. It was like a like weird that this is this thing that I thought that I really wanted. Then when I went and did it, it was like I've had this dissonance of like this wasn't actually enjoyable. And so yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. And but if you get more intentional, like actually... 
Yeah. yeah right? totally. That clarity, that intention that like, okay, what are you really wanting? Then you can pair or partner, you know, with your person or the other couple of people like to say, oh, all right. So you want to be, you know what, you want to be witnessed and how you are an amazing lover, or you want to have two sets of hands on you at the same time, or you want to be, to feel the power of dominating. And so, right. Then, then you get to create all these amazing experiences based in the root of that desire versus, oh, just this surface thing. Yeah. Yeah. So really appreciate that you, you were speaking about that because it's definitely, that's like, I, I, like paradigmatic for people, right? Like that's a, that's a shift for like the way that they approach sex. Very often it's about the act and not about like the underlying desire of what's where the act is manifesting from. So totally. That's yeah. really, really cool. Um, cool. There's more there that I feel like we go into, but I'm curious if like, is there a, a takeaway that you want, like a main takeaway from that particular part of your book that you want people to, to you know, who are listening to this to like leave with? Well, as you ask that, I think what comes to me is just the power of curiosity and compassionate curiosity and really like nobody being wrong, you know, that you're not wrong, your partner's not wrong. Um, and that from there, you might have different desires. You might, you know, you might not want what the other wants, like, but all those things, you can work through if you're really being loving and compassionate with each other. Um, and the more we, you know, the more work we do, you know, whether it's therapy or meditation or personal growth work to be, to work through our own fears and our own judgments of ourself, right? Like the more we free ourselves the more pleasure and connection I think we get to have. And I think a lot of that has to do with letting go of being wrong or somebody else being wrong uh, and really being able to be curious with each other. Yeah, beautiful. I'm, I'm a big advocate for the idea that curiosity should be the cornerstone of our sexuality. Um, so yeah, love love that. And I'm, I'm 100% on board with you. Uh, the I believe it's the immediate next chapter, but there might be a chapter in between. I can't remember exactly, but you talk about the six fundamentals of deeper intimacy and better sex. And I said to you prior to clicking record that that lands for me because I love principles and I love like guiding you know, guidelines and, uh, and things that you can like uh, apply like really practically as, as like things for your mindset and then like practical tools. And I know you've got like practices attached to each of them, which is fantastic. Um, it, it like makes my you know sex coach heart happy to like have practices and things that people can do uh so that's really really cool um but i was curious if you wouldn't mind elaborating 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 sorry on the, the those six or those five fundamentals or oh, five or six i think I, there's six, six right yeah six cool yeah so stop me if you want in the middle so i don't just like maybe talking all the way through them it might be a little much because there's six of them but you know, we've already talked about some of them and like what I was just alluding to speaks to fundamental number one, which is being on the same team. So if you're looking at it as like a win-lose or a win for me as a lose for my partner or a win for my partner as a lose for me, then it's a lot harder to create that kind of deeper intimacy and to create exciting sex. So the first part of that is, right, be on the same team, recognize that we, you know, if you want for your partner to experience as much pleasure and opening and connection as you want for yourself and vice versa, 
then you're going to have more intimacy and better sex. And, you know, sometimes I see that with men where sometimes I think it's just like a, oh, I never really thought about it that way. And sometimes it's a, okay, well, I'm trying to please a woman and make sure she has really good sex. And then I lose myself in it. Um, and then sometimes there's some, you know, self-focused and then I lose sight of my partner. So again, none of it, I, my, my stance is like, don't judge yourself for any of it. Just start to get curious about yourself and, oh, are there places where I am not seeing the same team places where I'm feeling scarce and I could actually be more generous or more collaborative in this way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, that, um, the, the analogy that I like to use for that is because even like being on a, not to throw shade, but like even the idea of like being on a team for me, the language is like still it's like it's a sporting context. Interesting. Right? And okay, so there's cool. still a win lose embedded within that like yeah. framework. Um, right. It's because we could both win, but we could also both lose. Right. And I, and yeah, if we're on the same thing. And so the, the shift that I have here and only because my partner's a muso and I can't credit specifically who told me this and I wish I could remember, but thinking of like sex as a jam session between music. Oh, nice. Yeah. You know, people like, you know, there's no impetus to like make quote unquote good music. You're not recording anything. It's you're there to like have fun to like flesh out. Maybe it's a new musician you're jamming with, like have a bit of fun, play some songs and like see what, you know, see what we can do with one another with our instruments, you know, and, um, and that approach to me is like, there's much more play involved, right? Um, there's much more curiosity involved. Um, and you know, it helps get out of that mindset of like, oh, there is a win. There is going to be something successful here. There's going to be a win or there's going to be a lose. I love scenario. that. Yep. Yeah. There's a sense, right. That we can take win and lose out of the picture and just go for enjoyment. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And I think that, you know, is, is helpful for, that's been helpful for me anyway, personally speaking. And, and it's like opened up a bunch of stuff for my partner and I to really explore with one another because we, you know, and she's a musician, so she's been to play jam sessions. So she kind of like has that embodied nature of like what it's like to just come and show up and like enjoy the space and whatever goes, goes. Um, so yeah, I wanted to, to share that, but yeah, thank you for letting me just like push back a little bit on that. Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm, I'm always open. I think maybe that's another thing that has people feel safe with me is I'm like, okay, challenge me, you know, let's, let's, let's get the most helpful, you know, whatever, whether it's definitions or tools or whatever into the hands of people who need them. I'm not attached that my way is the right way, uh, which makes for much more easy collaboration. Mm. And that, um, fundamental too is differences can bring you closer. Right. And if I think of that musician analogy, like, if you're playing the same instrument at the jam sesh, probably not going to get very far, right? So it's no. the differences of instruments that's going to be helpful for you there with regards to like creating some music. So sorry to just totally. like pigeonhole my yeah. analogy right into there, but um, was yeah. curious uh, if you had something to elaborate on the whole idea of differences. Yeah, I think as far as differences can make you closer too. you know, in the beginning of a relationship, we tend to feel really excited about people's differences. And then as we go on, it can be like, oh, fuck. This is not <laughs> as exciting, you know, as I thought it was going to be. But if we start to really look at, all right, how can this difference support the we, right? How can we uh, use these, like, if you're, if you tend to be more energetic, you know, talking about Jaya, you said Jaya, like if you tend to be more energetic sexually, and I tend to be more 
physical sexually, all right, we might have different ways that we have pleasure or connection or intimacy, but all right, how can one feed the other, right? How can we learn from each other? How can we expand our own sense of what our bodies and our hearts and our souls can do based on knowing each other in this way? So I like to look at that. Okay. The differences can add. And if they're frustrating, then that can be a conversation of like, Hey, I'm not sure how to work with this rather than I wish you, I wish you weren't this way. Right. I mean, that could also be an honest statement, like, Hey, this is hard for me. I wish you were a different way. But then I think if you can come around to, all right, I'm going to, that was my vent that I wish this was different and this is hard. But if we're looking for a solution, you know, let's see how this can bring more to us. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for for offering that. I I often think of like, you know, I mean, specifically because I'm a relatively new dad and I speak to a lot of other new dads, like the way intimacy shifts post birth and even during pregnancy. And so like, so there are big differences there in terms of like what's going on for him uh, and also what's going on for her hormonally, physically, you know, and so, um, so I, I've, I've worked with a few dads about like acknowledging those changes, those differences and coming to a place of like, rather than wishing that their partner wasn't that way going like, Hey, okay. How can we still be intimate? It's still really important for us to be intimate. I know it's important for you. I know it's important for me. We've kind of acknowledged that. What does that look like now? How can we, how can we come closer together through, you know, the acknowledgement of, of the changes to your body and the, the lack of you know, capacity you have maybe for, for what, what sex used to look like, you know, or yes. what sex did look like two years right. ago. You know? so that's, before that's and well. like that. And that, you know, really leads well into fundamental three, which is assuming the best about each other rather than the worst. Um, Oftentimes, if we get into like a contracted or kind of triggered mindset, it's like that sense of, well, you meant to do that, or you, you know, you're trying to get back at me, or you, all those kinds of um, the ways that we can see the worst in someone versus seeing the best. And so, you know, often when I've worked with women too, one of my practices for women was see the best in a man in a heterosexual relationship, you know, see the best in him and call him into who you want him to be versus nag or, you know, whatever, like diss him for the things that you're not enjoying. And so I really find that when we assume the best, like, oh, I assume that this woman actually wants to be a partner in a really great way and a partner that includes sex and intimacy and connection. And I'm going to get curious about, okay, so what's, what's going on here that's keeping this from happening versus, well, you tricked me. You didn't, you never wanted intimacy or sex. And somehow you just, you know, married me so that then, you know, you could have a relationship and then you meant to take it away. Right. I mean, that's a pretty extreme thought, but I think that there are ways that we assume the worst or even kind of just um, assume something negative. And then our partners often live into that or we complain enough that they get frustrated and they get defensive and it just creates this whole downward spiral. So really I practice and this changed my life, assuming the best and then getting curious about all right, I'm, I'm imagining that since you love me, you really wanted me to have a good experience here, but 
something didn't go that way. So can you help me understand, you know, what, what happened for you? Yeah. Yeah. That, um, yeah, makes me think of, you know, I talk to, I talk to guys, uh, and a lot of them do want their partners to have a good time. You know, they are concerned with their partner's pleasure. You know, there's this kind of trope that men don't give a shit about women's pleasure. And yeah. in my experience, not with, most of the men I talk to, right? They really yeah, want exactly. that. They yeah. do. Yeah. They do care a lot. And it's actually one of the reasons why a lot of guys have that performance anxiety in the first place exactly. is because yeah. they're concerned about, you know, making sure the partner has a good time, but the tools that they have are lacking. The education that they've had is lacking. And so they don't know how to communicate about all the things we've been talking about, to have those conversations, to actually facilitate a good time for both of them um, and, and vice versa. You know, women are the same, they get the same lack of education as guys do. And so like they're, they're not you know feeling comfortable having those conversations as well in the first place. So yeah, I do think that guys do care about women's pleasure, but the way that it's like framed is like, well, I'll just do the things I see in porn maybe because that's what gives women pleasure because that's what I've seen on screen. That's maybe a different conversation, but I do really want to, I do want to say that that really lands for me as well as like thinking the best and, and um, yeah, thinking that your partner does care but maybe they just that hasn't been shown through you know the specific things that they're doing maybe because they just don't know how or, or what to do else so yeah thank you for sharing totally yeah so and then fundamental four is share why to deepen understanding i think that's similar to what we were talking about um you know getting to the root of something but if you are to say to your partner uh hey i want to talk to you about our sex life and you don't have a, a why I want to talk to you about sex life because I love you and I want to have more connection and intimacy with you. You know, if you leave that part out, most people will go into the negative about themselves. Like this person doesn't love me. They don't want me. I'm sexually boring to them, all those things. So as you start to bring more of a sense of why something matters to you, why it's meaningful, you know, what it, what it will do for you. Um, that's a really powerful one rather than just, again, similar to the threesome, rather than just stating this is the act, right? If you say to a woman, I want to have a threesome, she might be like, uh, fuck, that sounds terrifying. But if you're like, you know what? I want to have a threesome because I want you to experience more pleasure than you've ever experienced. Or I want, I want you to know what it's like to have, you know, your, your body touched by multiple people and loved at the same time. Like Again, it creates a very different conversation. Now, I feel like that's related to fundamental five as well, using desires, yeah. not complaints. Yeah. Yeah. I actually had in a coaching session this morning, um, we were talking about this man's relationship vision and I was sharing that like all of the complaints, he actually did a really good job, I will say of turning his complaints into desires, but um you know, he had a list and I suggested like, don't frame these as complaints, flip the coin and frame them as these are my desires because it's actually the same, you know, it's the, the opposite side of the coin. It's the same thing. If you're, if you're, if you're angry with someone because they won't slow down, then you have a desire for, you know, something more slow. Or if you're upset with your partner because she doesn't, take time to pleasure you enough. The desire is like, oh, I would love if we had, you know, one night a week or a month that I got to be the focus of the pleasure. 
So really when we bring our complaints, people tend to shut down and they feel defensive or they feel wrong and bad. When we bring our desires, we're more likely to create a shared experience that works. Yes, this 100% lands for me. Something that I say to my clients is if you're going to have these conversations about sex and intimacy, keep it pleasure oriented Positive. and positively framed. Yeah. yeah. So rather than like saying we need to talk about our sex life and people going, oh shit, something's oh, wrong. Shit. And you know, they have the, the classic sitting in front of a, you know, sitting in front of each other at the dinner table, you know, kind of interrogation type conversation, um, you know, which is very, very, uh, you know, Hollywood style way of kind of interpreting it, but like just going for a walk, right. can be a, a beautiful way of like keeping that a little bit more lighthearted, the conversation, but then talking about, as you so beautifully shared, like, Hey, I love having sex with you. I want to have more sex. With you. I want us to explore more pleasure. I'd love to try this with you as a way of doing that as a way of like continuing yes. our, our connection, you know, oh, um, it feels so much better to like, yeah. As opposed to being like, we're not doing this. This is a problem. Um, you know, that's going to be received much differently. So yeah, those two, together really really um resonated with me uh and mindful of time what's fundamental six before you fundamental six is to undefend yourself which we've talked about a little bit before and that sense of i love there's a book called undefended love i don't know if you've ever read it but it's a beautiful book about how we we kind of defend these identities we have even when we're not committed to them just because there's a sense of like if someone starts, you know, um, saying something where we might feel wrong, we don't want to feel that we want to, you know, defend who we are or what we've done. And really this idea that, oh, if we start to let go of defending ourselves, we really get to know who somebody else is. And I'm not saying to take abuse and not set boundaries or any of that. But, you know, if someone says like, I didn't like the way you touched me, and your response is something like, well, you didn't tell me how to touch you, or I didn't know, or, you know, well, we just, we, that was just a quickie or whatever, any way that you want to defend that. If instead you get curious and say, okay, tell me more, or can you help me understand that? You're going to have way more of a pathway to intimacy and connection and, you know, amazing sex than any defense will ever give you. And the the thing with defense is that people just start shutting down. And then that's where the turn on fizzles and fades and dies out because people then don't feel safe to connect in those ways when they don't feel heard or understood. Yeah. And two words that I often say to people to help them diffuse that defensiveness that they're feeling when their partner shares something like that is thank you. And that, that you know, acknowledgement that like they're sharing something that's pretty vulnerable to share right to say i actually didn't really like when you did that that's a hard thing for a lot of people to say hard so thing to say. you know expressing some gratitude and, and thanking your partner in those moments can can like i said help diffuse some of that defensive tension that you might have to like really rebut against that um and i have to say the ego doesn't belong in the bedroom as well and that's you know very so true, true. For, for a lot of guys right? and the so, ego um, is the part that like burns and feels bad and wrong and then you know, you can sometimes bring that to your partner and notice like, wow, I feel a lot of shame. Or like you said, you know, to one of us as a coach or to a men's group or something like where it's like, fuck, she told me that she didn't like the way I touched her. And I just, you know, I just went down and I started judging myself and I felt like a horrible lover. And right. And then we get to actually bring a lot more compassion and a lot more 
self-love to that so that you can be free. And so if you let that burn happen, instead of defending against it, you can actually get free from the ego, like you're saying. Yeah, I love that call to action to go and actually process it as well. That's really, um, really valuable. Uh, look, the last question I suppose I want to ask you is about that section. Is there a big takeaway that you want people that are listening to to kind of leave with from that particular chapter? It's hmm. a good question. Um, well, I believe that deeper intimacy and better sex really does rest on the foundation of being able to have honest and loving conversations. So, you know, the whole book really talks about what honesty is and how we can, you know, there's a certain kind of honesty that's just like point blank. It's kind of, it can be mean, it can be gruff. Um, and then there's another kind of honesty that actually goes a little deeper into the vulnerability and the connection. And so what I love people to get is, you know, to start really considering like, oh, if I say I'm being honest, cause I'm just saying it like it is, you know, is that creating more connection or creating less connection? And so can I upgrade my honesty to bring, um, more vulnerability and more love and realize that whatever's happening out of the bedroom gets brought into the bedroom. So you can't, you can't be like, oh, well, we're not having a great emotional connection out of the bedroom, but we'll just go have sex for most people. Some couples can just kind of bang it out in that way or just have like that physical release, but you're not going to have the deep, intimate, soulful, ecstatic, you know, merging sex if you're not actually connecting out of the bedroom also. Mm, and something you said there really landed for me was upgrade your honesty. That's cool. I like that idea. Um, you know, saying I don't like that is honest, but saying I would really like it if we tried this next time is also honest. Those things are going to land a little bit differently. Yeah, it's really totally, um, totally. Like yeah, when really I cool. suggest that people debrief a sexual experience, um, you know, like you said, it's, it's positive framing. So instead of what I didn't like, it's like, okay, well, here's what I did like, and here's what I would want more of, which is the positive framing of what I didn't like, you know? So like, I didn't like that you, you know, um, you didn't touch me in a way that didn't feel good. Okay. What I want more of is I want to slow down and like really help you understand my body and how I like to be touched so that then I can start to feel more open. And if you can be a guide or a leader in that way and welcome what your partner is saying in that way and asking for, again, you get to be closer. There's more intimacy that happens and there's more safety and then there's more hot sex available. I've said this before, Shona, and I'll say it again, but there are too many people that are doing things sexually that they don't even feel comfortable talking about in the first place. So I'm a big, big advocate for the reverse being true, which I think is what you were saying before is like the foundation of good sex and better intimacy is the conversations in the first yes. place. And, and yes. I couldn't agree more with you. And, and hopefully this facilitates some conversations for people that are listening. Uh, and I'm just really grateful and, and you know, um, thanking you for being here and sharing some of your wisdom and, you know, being able to plug the book, which is fantastic. And thank you so much for seeing yeah. me. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for doing this work with men in the world. And I appreciate you and all that you're, all that you're bringing and your vulnerability too.